0: Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. This is bullshit. Fuck. This is bullshit. I want you to get up right now, and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell.
1: Welcome back to the Bullshit <coughs> Filter. And uh, my name's Cameron Riley. This is episode 328, War on Drugs. Uh, how are you, Papa Bear? I'm losing your voice. I'm lose- got a sec- You're putting on the sexy voice today.
2: <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hi. Yeah, yeah. So wow. it's, it's, it's going to go down from there. You know, baby, come on. You're the one I love.
1: Yeah, you go down from there. Go down from there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> go down do, from do you want me to put
1: some... Some Barry White music on in the oh, background. Oh, there we go. Bit yeah, of, bit of strings. Yeah. yeah, come on, baby. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to put that on loop. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. Now, when Ray and I were preparing for this uh, next few episodes, I said to him, "Let's just fucking wrap this War on Drugs series. Wrap on. It this is up. ridiculous. It's it's going too long. Let's get in. Let's get out." <laughs> Uh, Again, a bit like you did Vegas. in Vegas, <laughs> yeah. In and out quickly, and uh, but no, no, we're not getting out. I'm no. sorry to tell you, no. no. There's just too much. Too. Much. I, I, I'm honestly trying to skip through as much yeah. as I can and to get still- us because I really want to get to the part of the story where we say, so marijuana has now become legal in many places around the world, including the United States. You just had your midterms. We're right. recording this. Uh, first week in November or second early second week in November 2018. Right. You just had your midterms. Uh, a number of other states, made, like Utah, made a, yeah. a, a legalized medical marijuana. Fucking Utah. Yeah, really. Against the wishes of the Mormon church. They still got it through. Wisconsin, where my friend uh, Doug LaFollette was, uh, won his re-election nice. uh, for his 11th term wow. as Secretary of State. Wow. Um, shot him an email. He said, and I said, "Hey, you got rid of Scott Walker as governor, too. Congratulations! And, you, and you've made weed we- legal in Wisconsin. Win-win. I'll have to visit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to get up to that, but uh, I tried to skip through all this stuff, and I was like, nah, there's yeah there's too too much stuff we have to talk about here. Too
2: much good J- stuff. Just real quick, did you hear about the vote in Florida? Not that I'm trying to preempt a new show or anything like that, but uh,
1: we, we- there's going to be a recount. Uh, no, 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 no. We were talking. Oh, about- the the the, the, the one, the, the, the million and a half yeah. felons. Yeah. yeah. So
2: good. Uh, you know, again, if you've done, if you've paid your debts to society and you still live in the country and you're going to be affected by the laws and stuff like that, I think you should get your, your voting ability back once you've paid your debt. So, you know, good for Florida for, for doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good for Florida. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about those things in our new show next week. Um, in 1985, though, Ray, I want to go back in time. 1985 was a great back year. Sorry. I remember 1985 very fondly. Yeah. Uh, I think I lost my virginity in 1985.
2: (laughs) I think I did (laughs) too.
1: Hey, fist bump. Um, That's what I remember most about 1985. Yeah. Um, Might have been 84. Uh, No, 85, I think. Anyway. uh, went and saw some great movies. There was a yeah. lot of great movies coming out in 1985. Yeah. Also, a new drug hit the market uh, in a big way in 1985. Uh, long name for it is methyl methylene dioxy methamphetamine. <sighs> Good job. I uh, might want to shorten that to MDMA. <laughs> MDMA methylene dioxy methamphetamine. Midma. Midma. Yeah. Mm. Yeah um now i know you've done mdma a lot uh ray uh, you, you do mdma before you record each of our episodes uh, you want to tell people a little bit about what it's like to do mdma
2: yeah so it's a psychoactive drug uh it alters your sensations it gives you an increased energy as you could probably tell when i record these shows it also gives increased empathy and pleasure so again um I don't know if you, how much you want to do go into it but the, certain professionals were using this to help them with their patients because you know between the increased energy the empathy and the altered sensations they were able to um to face traumatic issues in their life that they could not previously without the stroke. so the psychiatrist psychologists were using this in very limited means to help people overcome traumatic issues in their lives
1: yeah, I've got a list of the short-term effects of MDMA mm-hmm. and they sound horrible. Um, euphoria, a <clears throat> sense of general well-being I and happiness, increased increased self-confidence, sociability and feelings of communication being easy or simple. Right. Increased empathy or feelings of closeness with others and oneself, relaxation and reduced anxiety increased emotionality a sense of inner peace mm-hmm. mild hallucination i can mm. i can do that enhanced sensation perception or sexuality yeah baby And an altered sense of time. So it sounds downright scary and horrible, (laughs) uh, Ray, all of those things.
2: You didn't mention the best one, which was the ability at dance parties to loosen up enough to actually be the first one on the floor to shake your bootay. (laughs) So, again, this thing was very – well, not very, but this thing was popular in the dance clubs.
1: Now, it was first synthesized in 1912 by a German chemist, uh, as you would expect, all the good drugs Come out of Germany. <laughs> uh, he was working for Merck, right? Uh, not Mercedes Benz. They they have another kind of drug. Yeah. It's called uh, uh penis. Oh, penis substitutes. Oh, yeah. good one. Thank you. Yeah, um, Merck wanted to find a substance that would stop abnormal bleeding to compete with a product like that that Bayer Bayer uh, made. Um, and so MDMA was actually an intermediate compound uh, during the, the manufacture of the actual bleeding. So MDMA is not going to stop your bleeding, but it was a compound that they made on the way to making the compound to stop your bleeding. Uh, and they were like, oh, well, let's, 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 you know, take, eat some of this. Yeah. We don't know what it does, but let's eat it. Find out. Some cookies. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They started dancing.
1: They started dancing And they never stopped They're still dancing To this very day Because they had a lab Full of this stuff I just hope they're drinking A lot of water The
2: the only party Where scientists Were ever cool
1: Yeah Yeah Yeah. Well I don't know The party after They made the atom bomb um, That was a big orgy They thought They they thought They were pretty cool Yeah High fives Finally created Nuclear fusion Right Um Fission, fission, the other one, not fusion, fission. But it wasn't until 1970 that MDMA appears to have been used recreationally. Right. Um, It really kicked off. It seems to have been manufactured as a substitute for another drug, uh, methylene-dioxyamphetamine. Mm-hmm as opposed to methylene dioxy meth so <laughs> Right, big difference. Methylene-dioxy-amphetamine is just MDA, and it was a popular psychedelic up until it was banned in 1970. Oh. Government says, you can't use no. methylene-dioxy-amphetamine, so There's they a- said, oh, oh, okay, we'll come <laughs> up with methylene dioxy methamphetamine <laughs> because that's not right. illegal. Right. Now, there was an American chemist... Uh, Alexander Shulgin, Ooh. who started producing it in the late '60s, and by the mid '70s, he was testing it on himself yeah. and others, okay. and giving talks about it at conferences. He was also a psychopharmacologist. Ah, so he's actually qualified. You know yeah, 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 he was uh, he was the real deal, man. A psychopharmacologist, right. uh, people who give you party drugs. Uh, it's basically the, that's what they learn at uni, how to give out party uh, drugs. I call them dealers, um, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he found that it reduced people's inhibitions. Yeah. And as you said before, they started to use it a lot for therapy. He occasionally used it for relaxation. He called it his low-calorie martini.
2: <laughs> I like that.
1: Yeah. And he started giving it out to... Um, I was going to say, that's what my wife calls it when she gives me <laughs> head. That's a low-calorie no. martini. But anyway... No. Uh, I'm gave glad you didn't the say drug, it. Gave the drugs to friends, researchers, right. um, anyone he thought could benefit from... From it. And, and one of these paint. people was a guy called Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah. It's like when they said medical marijuana was legal in Utah. It's like fucking no one needs marijuana more than people who live in Utah, man. <laughs> Seriously. Well, Trump. Trump and people who live in Utah. Yeah. need him something. To just yeah. Chill the fuck out a little bit. And it's all um, going to be okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One person he gave it to was a guy called Leo Zeff, who was a psychotherapist who had used psychedelic substances in his practice previously, and he named the drug Adam. Okay. Huh. Because he believed it put users into a state of primordial innocence. Whoa, that's deep. Whoa. And they liked stealing fruit um, <clears throat> when they were on it.
2: As far as side effects go, that's not bad. It it could be a lot worse. (laughs)
1: That's right. (laughs) So um, psychotherapists uh, started to use it a lot um, in their therapy. They believed it eliminated the element of fear Mm -hmm. that people have, um, and, and it increased their communication skills. And they used it for people that were suffering from depression or substance mm. abuse or premenstrual syndrome, and even autism, wow. things like that. They would give them MDMA, and they found that it had positive effects. So it's all going well. There was a psychiatrist I read, his stuff, uh, George Greer, who said that therapists who used MDMA in the 70s were impressed by the results with their patients. Right. And... Mm-hmm. They also said it greatly accelerated therapy. Wow. You go in one day, they go, <laughs> take some of this. You come back next week and you go, fuck, I'm great. Like, I'm done. Thanks very much. Psychiatrists <laughs> were like, fuck, yeah. we're not making any money out no. of this. We better we better jack up the prices <laughs> on the MDMA because that
2: this would is- normally
1: have been a four-year course yeah. of therapy and it was finished in a week.
2: He would have bought me a Porsche. Yeah. Yeah. But- so, Yeah. yeah. Now I was just going to say the other part of that that you're talking about these psychotherapists and these uh psychiatrists during the 70s I mean these these guys are smart they they've got the political lay of the land to avoid a, to avoid possible criminalization of this they you know they try to keep it on the down low they help patients with it uh that kind of stuff but they don't make a big deal out of it there's not a lot of uh stuff going in journals or peer reviews they're using this stuff they're getting good results but they're trying to keep it quiet because they know in the current political uh, climate. It's only a matter of time before the government hears about it, and then they could lose this, what seems to be a very powerful tool in their work.
1: Yeah, what? People are feeling better. We know all that. (laughs) That's right out. More anxiety. (laughs) That's what we want. Less communication. Who am I? Oh, I sell anxiety drugs. Exactly. Yeah. So according to David Nutt... No relation to Lefty Nut from our (laughs) earlier episodes. Uh, This guy was actually a British neuropsychopharmacologist. Nice. I'm just a podcast. Specialized in the research of drugs that affect the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, He said MDMA was widely used by uh, people in the Western US in couples counseling and it was called empathy. Oh, I like that. You want to take some empathy? (laughs) <laughs> um, but of course, later, the name, uh, it was known as changed from empathy to ecstasy. Right, right.
2: And, and here's the other part, just as far as the political aspect goes, because this, is, um, this was developed by an independent uh, pharmacist all, all those years ago from 1912 to 1970. Most people haven't heard of it. There's no large publicly traded pharmaceutical corporation behind it to protect it who could bribe, I mean, to lobby politicians. And so, again, they have to be careful because this very you know, good thing is, is helping a lot of people. They just have to keep it quiet. But it's, it's because it's being out on the street and it's going into dance clubs and nightclubs like Studio 54 and Paradise Garage, it's only a matter of time before word of this does get out.
1: Yeah. So into the early 1980s, uh, more and more people start hearing about it, but the production of it was very tightly controlled. There was a small group of Boston chemists who were making it in their basement, Jesse Pinkman (laughs) style. Uh, Have you heard they're making a fucking Jesse Pinkman movie?
2: No. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Came out in the last couple of days, Vince Gilligan is writing a sequel movie to Breaking Bad nice. about what happens to Jesse Pinkman after he escapes from I, the neo-Nazis.
2: I'll check that out. I'll check that
1: out. I don't know. It sounds, sounds I don't know. I mean, look, fucking Vince Gilligan is a, a god, so I'm sure it'll be great. But, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you can- Jesse Pinkman without Walter White, is that really something <sighs> I want to watch? It's like... Yeah. House of Cards without Kevin Spacey. Like, yeah. complete fucking, complete disaster this yeah. most, most recent season. I watched one episode and went, nah. Nah, done, nah. done. Look, love, uh, love uh, Robin Wright. Oh, man. Oh, Ooh. that's her old name, yeah. Oh, I love yeah.
2: her in so many ways. Long time, love oh. her a long time. Well,
1: yeah, I love <laughs> I love you wrong time. But, uh, yeah, no. Nah, but, yeah, just, the chemistry between just, them two, yeah. Well, it's just not a story without... Kevin Spacey's character. Anyway, yeah. back to MDMA. So they they they're, they're these Boston chemists are manufacturing it, slowly expanding the amount they're uh, producing. Um, but they couldn't keep up with the demand. Sure, uh, more and more people wanted to take this drug, both for therapeutic purposes and for party purposes. Yeah, and uh, you know there were there were shortages because right. they couldn't get it out into the market. And a guy called Michael Clegg. Mm-hmm. who was a distributor for the Boston Group, um, he saw an opportunity. So he started his own Texas group, oh. backed by some Texas friends. Capitalism. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he started making his own. This is in 1981. And he's the guy that uh, coined the term ecstasy. Yeah. Did he get to- Barry and
2: Stan, or did he come up with that on did. his own?
1: <laughs> no, Barry and Stan were absolutely involved. They came up with uh, Adam first. They liked right, that.
2: Right, But then they but tried uh, the drug.
1: They tried it. And they yeah. said,
2: Oh um, Yeah. That was X ext- oh there's the name.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, around about nineteen eighty three, Clegg and his group of Texans started mass producing oh, MDMA shit. in a lab. Right. Um Not in the and they were they started marketing the tablets using toll free numbers <laughs> and a pyramid sales structure. No. no. Yeah. So much for so, keeping it quiet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Those days like- are over. One eight
2: hundred ecstasy. That sounds like a sex yeah. line. I'm going to call that. Where's my phone? Yeah.
1: Anyway. Obviously, the, they. I mean, they must have known yeah. that the government was going to crack down on this, but they were like, until that time, right? We're well, going to fucking make a mint <laughs> out of this.
2: Is, is- I wonder if the thinking is, yeah, let's make a mint in a short amount of time versus making less money per year, but for a longer amount of time. I guess you just get in, quick kill, get your cash, government cl- comes down, clamps down on it. But you've made your pile and you're gone to the next big thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, in the early 80s, mm-hmm. uh, the Texas group. Right. Uh, so you have to wonder. I mean, to what extent were the Bushes involved in this and all of of your uh, Texas power families, were they part of the financing of this? Uh, I'd be surprised if they weren't. How many people were involved in it? Who were these people? Obviously, we don't know that information. Right. uh, It'd be good to know. Oh, yeah. Now... The Texas group were selling it uh, via phone sales. You could you could buy it on a credit card. You were paying taxes on the ah, sales of it. Okay. They were using the brand name Sassy Frass, and you'd buy them as t- in a tablet form, obviously in little brown bottles. Right. And the Texas group were advertising ecstasy parties at bars and discos, oh describing God. it as a fun drug and good to dance to. <clears throat> And it was apparently, in places like Austin and Dallas-Fort Worth, it was really, really popular in in bars and nightclubs. College students, yuppies, gays were all into it. It was big, big in the right. scene. And then by about 1984 the media started to pick up on the story about people using ecstasy. Yeah. And then what happened?
2: Well, not only that, but the but some cocaine dealers who were who were obviously not wanting to go to jail started switching to selling this stuff because again, it's a drug, you're going to have a good time and it's not illegal. But to get back to your question, so by, you know, by mid-1984, this uh, ecstasy is becoming more noticed. And so the uh, DEA says, you know what, it's time for us to have um, a, a, a commission, a meeting on this, and we're going to schedule it. So there's, go- there's actually going to be several meetings, but on July 27th, 1984, the DEA schedules a meeting, and they are requesting comments and objections from everybody. And, of course, keep in mind that when you schedule something, that's when the government says, we're establishing the rules for any drugs, manufacture, importation, possession, use, and distribution. But the DEA is surprised when a number of psychiatrists, psychotherapists, and researchers object to proposing Uh, object to scheduling this drug at all because they're using it and they don't want to lose the ability to do further research search to it. So the DEA is caught a little off guard
1: by this. So I think this is really instructive um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the war on drugs. So this drug comes out, has tremendous therapeutic benefits, no danger to it at all. Um, I still, I, I, as far as I'm aware, nobody still to this day has died from an oh, really? ecstasy overdose. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we will we'll, we'll talk about the dangers of it uh, a little bit later, but it's it's not in, a dangerous drug,
2: right? C- certainly in the hands of a professional who's used to prescribing it to to patients. Yeah. So it's it's in that context, it's very safe.
1: Um and. You know, you have a bunch of psychotherapists who are using it, talking about amazing benefits from it. Uh, the government, the DEA, doesn't give a shit about any of this. No, they don't care about the facts, the science. It's not. Benefits. It's not being banned because it's dangerous. Because it's not dangerous, right? They're Spe- just banning it because just it exists. Because yeah, yeah, because it is. now. Uh, I mean, you could you could make an argument to say, well. It's being manufactured in fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesse Pinkman's RV. That's not. <laughs> right. We don't know what's going we into it. It's it. probably. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's a health. It's a health risk. People are ingesting this stuff, and it's being made by Jesse Pinkman. They, they could say, okay, well, <laughs> if they'd said, look, we want to regulate the production of it, and yeah. you have to apply for a license, and you have, your lab needs to be. Checked and, and you and, have to yeah. meet these standards and all that kind of stuff, then okay, fair enough. I'd go, fair enough, you know, that's fair enough. And any, any food manufacturer or, or medicine manufacturer right. should be having to maintain some sort of standards, I think. Um, right, but they didn't do that, right? And the uh, Texas, no, nope, fucking ban right, it,
2: right? And the Texas group knows. That's what's going to happen. So what do they do? Just like you said a minute ago, they just mass produced this stuff. In 1985, they went from making 30,000 tablets a month to 8,000 tablets a day because they know it's going to get shut down. So they roughly made about 2 million tablets uh, before the ruling came down just so they could be prepared.
1: How many a year is 8,000 a day?
2: Um, I don't do the maths, so I don't know. Was that 8,000 times, 8, times 365?
1: Yeah, it is that. Yeah. But I, <laughs> <What's, laughs> I do not know what's... Uh, uh, I don't know the as, answer. As James Caffin said to me over lunch yesterday, yeah, that, you know, all Ray does is just repeat back what you just said and uh, yeah. say it slightly differently with different words. I, w- I would like yeah. to counter... Calendar- Go ahead. It's an art form. Yeah, I was going to say
2: I like to count it with, but I can make a living at it, and he can't. So there you go, James. Um, Two point
1: eight million, bit over two point eight million tablets a day. That's what I thought. But they went from thirty thousand a month to ninety six thousand a month because of the government production, essentially because of the government. Well, well, because they saw it as an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they knew the government were going to crack down, so they wanted to have as much of this stuff uh, manufactured and make as much money out of it as quickly as possible it's capitalism right yeah
2: now on a on a show recently you mentioned Senator Lloyd Benson do you remember which show that was I honestly can't remember uh, no wasn't it this show it might have been I can't I can't remember <laughs> So, no, very powerful yeah. senator. He urges the DEA to announce an emergency Schedule I classification for ecstasy on May 31st, 1985. The ban was to take effect on July 1st, 1985. And as we all know, hopefully Schedule One says high potential for abuse, no medical use, not even under medical supervision. So, Schedule One, this thing gets shut down.
1: Mm. Yeah. Uh I'm just googling and googling searching through my notes for Lloyd Benston the only notes I can find for him mm-hmm. um they're not show related but um I've got a note related to Trump in here.
2: Yeah, it was yeah, that's, I'm I'm sorry I just when I when I read that I just remember you mentioned it but he was a very powerful senator. Um and and just going back to the to the DEA scheduling one during the meeting, even the presiding judge, who who listens to the witnesses and reads all the reports that comes in, he recommends that ecstasy uh, MDMA be classified as a Schedule Three substance, which means acceptable in medical use and medium potential for abuse. So he's like, "Yeah, I, I see the good. I see the potential in this. Let's bring it down a couple of notches so we can find out more about it."
1: Yeah. Getting back to the Texas group and ramping up, yeah. um, one estimate said that they distributed 500,000 tablets a month in <gasps> Dallas alone. Good. At this point.
2: That's a party town.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, so your, your mate Lloyd Benston, Senator Lloyd Benston, mm-hmm. um, pushed the DEA to make it Schedule One. Um, and. You know, they sort of claimed that there was new evidence that MDA, the the drug that had been banned back in 1970, right. not MDMA, the one right. before that, um, new evidence that it could create neurotoxicity.
2: Oh. So they were
1: pointing at a different drug. They were going, well, MDMA is like right. MDA, and MDA, there's new evidence that it can hurt you, hurt your brain. Uh, so we need to ban this one as well. No, anyway, the yeah. ban took... a Yeah,
2: what? No, I was just going to say, I, I know jack shit about chemistry. But if you take a substance, and even if you change a tiny part of it, it is a completely different substance. And they couldn't figure that out because, I guess, they didn't want to figure that out.
1: Hmm. And... You know, I don't know what evidence they had for the neurotoxicity of MDA, but if we've learned anything over the last uh, 30 episodes, <laughs> 28 episodes, it's that uh, the government Some, lies about this
2: Sometimes it, they're less than truthful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, the ban took effect one month uh, before Nancy Reagan's uh, Just Say No campaign uh, came out. Right. Um but as you said, uh, a number of expert witnesses uh, said, listen, it, this, is, this has got useful medical and therapeutical yeah. potential, but it still didn't get anywhere. Even though the, the judge said that it should be classified as Schedule 3, the DEA administrator, John mm-hmm. C. Lorne, was able to overrule that. Wow. It's like, don't come at me with your evidence-based <laughs> thinking. Um, It's bad Because we say it's bad Okay.
2: I'm using the force I'm using the bible Go ahead
1: You've probably never heard of the band Grinspoon No, I have not No, big Australian band Grinspoon Grinspoon um, Named after the Harvard psychiatrist Lester Grinspoon
2: (laughs) Wow I Mm. want a band
1: named after me He's Harris (laughs) It's kind of boring, really I'll work on it. Midget. The midget. Yeah. That's <laughs> catchy. That could, could take off. <clears throat> the masturbating midget. Um, Gold. Lester, Lester Grinspoon, Harvard psychiatrist, sued the yeah. DEA over this. Yeah. He said the DEA had ignored the medical uses of MDMA. Yeah. And the federal court came out on his side. They were Get like, the fuck, fuck yeah. Out. He's got yeah. a good argument. And did, you don't DEA, so they they vacated their bowels. No, wait, vacated no. <laughs> MDMA's. Yeah, that's a different schedule story. One status,
2: yeah. right? Did you did you look up the background a little bit of Grinspoon? I did. Okay, all right. Because he to me he is an a, per, a perfect example of what the history of the war on drugs should have been.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us more.
2: Okay. So back in the 1960s, this guy who was a psychiatrist really did know a lot about marijuana, but he knew what the government and the media was telling him. So back in the 1960s, he said he had no doubt that it was a very harmful drug that was unfortunately being used by more and more foolish young people who would not listen to or could not believe or understand the warnings about its dangers. So he decided, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to study this stuff myself, and I'm going to scientifically define the nature and the degree of those dangers, so I can tell people with absolute facts and science, this is exactly why marijuana is dangerous and physically harmful to you, and the man got to work. And? And (laughs) and his result can pretty much be summed up in this sentence there was little empirical evidence to support my beliefs about the dangers of marijuana. And he was convinced that cannabis was much less harmful than he had believed. So he was like, you know, Mayor Coppola fucked fuck me, I was wrong, but I had to find out through science that I was wrong. And so he, he testified before Congress. In fact, he was one of the witnesses in the deportation hearings of John Lennon. So, Again, this guy got, you know, he actually did his work and and found out the truth through science and not just what some politician was saying.
1: Yeah. And there's a couple of stories we've seen like that, right? These guys that started off going, oh, yeah, I'm going to prove that it's really bad. And then go, oh, shit. You know, (laughs) you want to want to join? Because it's pretty good.
2: (laughs) It might not be Um, good, but it's neutral. So light up.
1: So he sued the DEA over MDMA. The court sided with him, but um, and they they said no, you can't make it Schedule One. But less than a month later, yeah, the DEA administrator Lorne uh, just reclassified it as yeah. Schedule One again yeah. and said, uh, you know these. These expert testimonies you've got mm-hmm. from psychiatrists claiming over 200 cases where MDMA had been used in a therapeutic context with positive results. Right. They weren't published in medical journals, so they're meaningless. Um, oh, fuck you. So we're going to make it Schedule 1. You- then, the, then those yeah. guys tried to publish in medical journals, and the medical journals go, what? This is a Schedule 1 drug. We can't publish this.
2: <laughs> and
1: that, that was that. Was that.
2: Catch twenty two. Yeah, they, they weren't they weren't publishing them because they, again they were trying to keep it on the down low so they could keep using it and helping their patients. So they run into the perfect catch twenty two. The government wins again.
1: And no double-blind studies have been conducted with uh, using MDMA for therapy. So he was able to go, well, this isn't scientific. This is just your say-so, which is fair enough. I have to say, like, yeah. okay, that's yeah. that's that's a reasonable position to take, a starting but position. Yeah, when when you have a whole bunch of qualified psychopharmacologists and psychotherapists say, listen, we've been using this with really positive results okay you could say well that's not a scientific study but then the next thing you say is let's hold a scientific study exactly let's just hold off on it and have a scientific study and then make a determination and go fuck you it's banned (laughs) right unless unless your agenda actually has nothing to do with science if your agenda is scientific based that's what you do but if your agenda is something else then you just use science to justify banning something um, which isn't what the next step should be, if if you really care about what the science has to say, and of course, as you'd expect, once the government banned MDMA, people stopped using it and mm. have never used it ever <laughs> again.
0: Wow,
2: I did not see that coming.
1: Because if we've learned anything over <laughs> over the over last, last 20- twenty eight <laughs> episodes, is that banning drugs right. works. People, works. yeah. Fucking yeah. works. Well, I'm, no, like, wait, it doesn't. Sorry, no, I forgot. That was banning banning guns works. Banning drugs doesn't work. No, um, not even the close. use of it exploded when they yeah. banned it. Probably made it sexy, but at the same time, the quality of it declined.
2: Ah, uh, how many times have we seen that with various drugs? Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask yeah. you this: Did you say that you had a list of some of its side effects? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, without going too far, I just wanted to say, well, yeah, here so here's something that potentially sounds like it could be good. Let's f- study it, alter it, improve it and get it back into therapy. But like you said, that that can't even happen because it's been scheduled case uh, case closed. But I'd love to know the, so the side effects. Again,
1: just you're just repeating what I just said.
2: Yeah, but That's, I I like the way I said it.
1: With your husky. Yeah. Sexy Rod Stewart voice. Do you think I'm sexy?
2: <laughs> so what are the uh,
1: side effects? Wake up, Maggie. I think I got something to say to you. <laughs> We've already been through the side effects. Why are you asking me to go through oh, it again? I read them out like oh, five, 20 minutes you know, ago. You know what?
2: I think short-term memory might be a side effect because I took some before we started recording and I wish to mm. apologize. I thought you were going to say uncontrollable your mother erections. Your you on your head when you are a no. baby.
1: No. Well, she Shortened did. Shortened your spine but- and gave you brain damage. <laughs> you were a normal, normal height baby. Okay, you're going
2: you your to feel bad. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel bad for what I'm about to say to you. Man. I was two months premature, and this is in 1966. I had to stay in this plastic fucking bubble like on Seinfeld for the first mm-hmm. month of my life. No one touched mm-hmm. me. No one caressed me. No one held me between oh. that and her dropping me. That's why I messed up. So that explains so much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, really that, it does. It's like a you're, true story. All, you know, uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. I yeah, messed yeah. up. I need ecstasy. I need them to legalize it
1: and, um, but, um, and James Cameron said yesterday James <laughs> yes. Kappen, I was talking about my kids uh, who I'm going to do a podcast with for the listeners so I'm gonna, right. I think I'm going to do a podcast with my 18 year old bo- uh, twin boys and they said you know, they argue with me all the time and he goes well that'll make a big change from Ray who just rolls <laughs> over and shows you his belly whenever you argue <laughs> <you laughs> with him and that explains it you're the boy in the bubble like John yes. Travolta Yes, you're the boy in the bubble. So, yeah. yeah, God, shit, that just answers so many questions. It See really now, does. if I had the five, the five right. year wait for Heather's right. pussy. <laughs> um,
2: if I had told you that oh, God. years ago yeah. during the interview, yeah. you wouldn't have you wouldn't oh. have taken me on. You're like, no, I don't need I any boy bubble
1: drama. In my life, I would have had so much fun with that over the years. If you told me that, I can't believe you've been holding that out. You've been holding out on me, Harris.
2: Well, now oh. we got something to talk about for the next five years.
1: Your new nickname is not Papa Bear, <laughs> Ray Boy in the Bubble, Bubble Harris. Fucking yes, Bubble Harris. Actually, Taylor, my, one of my twin boys was uh, mm. put in. A, was we, we had to keep him in a. Whatever they call those things, the little plastic boxes. Yeah. Um, what do they call those things?
0: What do you call it? I don't know.
1: I, I just Hyperbaric said- Hyperbaric chamber? No, it's not that. Well, whatever. Anyway, He, had, he but it was only for like one night. And right. Because uh, he was a little bit- little Oh, bit really? Skim, one night? Crim. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> How many years were you in it? Was it 12 years? You were I was bubble? in it for a
2: month. Mr. Yeah. I ain't got no feelings.
1: Uh, yeah. <sighs> I bet I wonder how many times over the course of your childhood your parents said when you went to bed <laughs> the night, they'd look at each other and go, I wish we still had that fucking bubble for him. Can we can we just like make up something while he needs to go back in the bubble for a
0: while? <laughs> no,
2: they would have screwed it up and just put me in a plastic bag and I would have died. So no, I'm glad they did <laughs> I'm glad they did not. They
1: would have uh, fucked that up. Yeah. Oh, that's sad and kind of funny at the same time <laughs> that's so Aussie of you thank you well come on like it's you know it's there's enough time has passed it's not too soon you're <laughs> 50 for fuck's sake 51 51 52 52! Jesus
2: yes. Christ. Now, my birthday should have been in years. November. I should still be 50. That's another thing. I should still be 51 and my birthday be on November the 21st. But no, I came out early, nearly died, and no one touched me for the first 30 days of my life.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> I can't. Wow. I can't talk about yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's, it's, that's does yeah. serious stuff to you. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm uh, fucked up. Oh, yeah. Infant psychology. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Whoa. I just That's need a hug. Shit, man.
2: For all yeah. the listeners, if you if you see me out and about, just yeah. come up and hug me.
1: Kneel kneel down and <laughs> give them a hug.
2: <laughs> or just kneel down. But either way, thank you.
1: <laughs> all those photos of you that you took at Harvard uh, yeah. at the podcast conference were just funny as shit because you know you could have just you gotta walk around. If you're gonna do that. Yeah. You've got to walk around like Tom Cruise with a, with a little milk crate that you can stand on. Because, <laughs> well, next know, time I'll know. Just, it was just like your chin sticking up over the bottom of the photo and <laughs> no. everyone else's heads up the top of the frame. Well, it's funny. I, I might as well take this photos.
2: opportunity to uh, invite you to a conference in Orlando, Florida next March.
1: So I must consider yourself in Orlando. It's like it's like mass shooting central Orlando. It's not man. perfect. Not it's there. not
2: pr- okay. But but I can say that yeah. I invited you.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> back to back to MDMA. Yes. So yes. They banned it. It exploded. Um, became popular uh, first of all in the dance clubs of Ibiza, mm. um, and then spread to the UK, where it was big in the rave culture there, and then throughout Europe, and then to the US. And since the mid-1990s, it's been the most widely used amphetamine-type drug by college students and teenagers. Damn. Get me some. But, of course, after it was criminalised, psychotherapists couldn't use it, so all medical medical use of it stopped, except for a handful of guys that can continue to prescribe it illegally right um it's mostly stopped all of them the medical experimentation with it stopped in the mid-80s fuck
2: so so if you were seeing a therapist about a traumatic event in your life the pretty much all the doctor can do now is there 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 and hold your hand okay just checking.
1: Think about it in terms of PTSD. Like, uh, you just had a shooting uh, yesterday at Thousand Oaks in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, apparently the shooter was uh, a former... Marine. Soldier. Marine. Yeah. Was he a former Marine? I believe so. Fuck. Right. So obviously, well, apparently suffering from PTSD, known to police. They'd been called out to his house for civil unrest um, mm-hmm. earlier this year. Um. So, you got 12 people dead uh, at this bar in right. California who might be alive if a therapist had been able to give this guy some ecstasy.
2: Yeah. Here, take this. Or LSD. Something. Or, yeah. To have options.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Weed, weed is legal, though, in California. So, you know, he should have just been smoking weed to chill the fuck out. But, um, right. anyway. That didn't maybe happen. if he's not smoking weed to chill out, maybe he wouldn't have. Taken MDMA either, who knows? But right. Uh, anyway, so in the in the two thousands, um, there was a crystalline or powder version of MDMA that MDMA sorry that became popular. It was known as Molly, short for molecule. Oh, and it, according to David Nutt again, uh, Nutty, mm. old Nutty Professor nutty. Um when safrole. Was restricted by the United Nations. Saffron was one of the ingredients, That's why it was called. Well, it's called saffy, before. right? Um, was Sassifras. When Sassifras.
0: saffron,
1: right? When saffron was restricted, there's a there's a cafe that in Brisbane called Sassafras that I go to a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, I wonder if it's named that way because uh, yeah. ask uh, them what they're selling the behind
2: the counter. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, hey. I uh, I don't know how I never knew that before. They're why I, they've never sold me any before?
2: Well, they probably Saffirol- assumed you were already on drugs.
1: <laughs> Saffron <laughs> is safrole is a uh, liquid that's extracted from the sassafras plants in sassafras oil, and it's one of the precursors to making MDMA. So, according to David Nutt again, uh, when the United Nations uh, restricted safrole to mm. reduce the manufacture of MDMA, producers in China started using something called anatol instead. Mm. Um, but it the drug that you get out of that is called PMA, right. paramethoxyamphetamine, also known as Dr. Death. Oh God. which. Uh, Much more toxic than MDMA. Sounds like Can cause overheating, muscle spasms, seizures, unconsciousness, and death. And people who were out trying to buy MDMA would sometimes be sold PMA instead. Oh, shit. Right. Hmm. Damn. Now, according to Mm dancesafe.org, the
2: uh,
1: organization that tells you how to dance safe, (laughs) Barry and Stan came up with that. Barry and Stan came up with that uh maker, for them, right? Yeah. What, 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 what are you about? Uh, well, <laughs> we teach people how to dance safely. Dance safely, as eh? opposed uh, to
2: <laughs>
1: they. Um, Hundred thousand uh, dollars later, Barry and Stan <laughs> came up with that brand name. In the vast, according to Dance Safe, in the vast majority of cases of MDMA-related deaths, right where there's no other drug found in the person's bloodstream, the deceased had taken a dose within the normal range for appropriate therapeutic or recreational use. Mm -hmm. So they're not overdosing. In the vast majority of cases of MDMA-related deaths, people aren't overdosing on it. They take a normal dose. Right. But the cause of death and medical emergencies that don't Um, end up in death, result in death, is heat stroke. Mm. So what happens is a normal dose of MDMA raises your body temperature about one degree and it also inhibits the body's thermoregulation. Okay. And so what happens is people take the drug, they're like, ooh, i got no inhibitions and I love everybody and (laughs) I want to touch you and I want to dance. Right. They go out, they dance... In a hot environment, for hours and hours and hours, they don't drink enough water, oh. and uh, they they suffer from heat stroke. Right. So that is the danger of MDMA. It's not dangerous in and of itself. You don't mm-hmm. overdose on it. You just dance too much and don't drink enough water, and you get heat stroke. Okay. All right.
2: So take a pill, keep a bottle of water with you while you dance. Incorporate it into the safe
1: dancing, and you should be fine. Where, and you know, at nightclubs they should just you know every every hour, yeah. Music should stop, lights come up. All right, everyone, eat, there's, there's bottles <laughs> <laughs> of water all around the club. Go get a bottle of water. Yeah, you know, turn the music back on in five minutes. Okay, yeah. off you go again. Just like we we'll do like it every hour on the hour. Make sure exactly. You're just
2: Good like times you're had by all.
1: Well, another drug that hit the market in 1985 um, was known as bazooka.
2: Yeah. Huh.
1: Or basuko. Or bazooka. Right. Um, the uh, basuko uh, comes from what word, Ray? Um,
2: bazook? I am totally making that up.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, I know you speak Spanish, um, so I thought you'd be able to pick this up. But um, basuco, basuco, hey, hey, (laughs) basuco, you should know this because this is my nick was my nickname for you in Vegas. Um, It comes from the Spanish word basura, which means trash. Oh, Um, hey, hey. So (laughs) uh, basuco is the little dirty trash of cocaine, the paste That's that's left at the the paste that's left at the bottom of a barrel after oh. cocaine production. Okay. They were sc- literally scraping the bottom of the barrel.
2: Oh. What and substance is that? It's not
1: like a paste? It's- yeah, it's a it's a dark-coloured paste. Okay. That oh. uh, they were marketing, and it was a smokable form of cocaine. They had to oh. mix it, though. Right. There's different ways you could, you could smoke it. You could... Uh, Roll it with some tobacco or cannabis into a cigarette, or, mm. or put it, stuff it in a in a pipe. Or it could be smoked as uh, in the form of freebase, mm-hmm. where you would mix it with ether. Um, and uh, there's some dangers to that. Uh, s- l- smoking something mixed with ether, <laughs> ether being highly <laughs> flammable. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let me let let, let me let. Um, I'm not going to tell you this story. Let me cut to Richard Pryor. I'll let Richard Pryor tell oh you. Oh God!
0: Story. I thought of. I said, "Now listen, should I talk about freebasing? What is or uh, something?" And people say, "Well, no, because then people start doing it." No, let me. I got to talk about what happened to me on freebasing. Freebasing. I freebase about eight months straight my bitch left me I went crazy but I fell in love with this pipe this pipe controlled my very being this motherfucker say don't answer the phone we have smoking to do all the pipe is talking about now come on don't put me down anywhere where I might fall <laughs> Cause it's two in the morning and it's hard to get one of me <laughs> And when I first did it, I knew it was gonna fuck me up, but I had to do it Still, I just had to be hip This mother said, you ever tried this rich? This motherfucker said he gonna string me out." This is a dope dealer that need me to get hooked so he can get some free base. You know what I mean? This dude, he just used to snort a little coat like this. One. I saw him and he's, I said, What's wrong with you? This motherfucker was talking about, I, I, I remember everybody. I said, What? Freebank. He told me he saw Jesus. I said, Well, okay. And he said, you do it in women to do it. And that's how he got me. Women will fuck. So give something to your old lady, she'll fuck. I should have known if it's my old lady, naturally, she gonna fuck. I forgot. I thought I was tricking somebody that was giving me pussy. It started out innocently enough. You know, every now and then. Little bit. nah, not nah, nah. you now. that's what you said. Nah, I don't no base, fuck it, nah. Then pretty soon, I noticed I wasn't walking as far away from the pipe as I used to. <laughs> it's cause I used to walk, I put the pipe and I'd go, ha, fuck, hey, I'd be all out in here and shit. And then motherfuckers that you used to share with you go, hey, ain't you got none of your own shit? was out one night and we was doing it and a woman said the fire doesn't last long enough and we kept trying to get it I said what kind of fire do you want and the dude said the kind that lasts forever (laughs) I'm just telling you about a junkie I was and I didn't know it I kept saying I can quit any time I want to finally one day myself said when (laughs) I said I thought you liked me you're gonna ask me that and I don't give a fuck when you're a junkie. You will not admit it. You will find excuses to smoke or shoot up or something, you be, hey, look. <laughs> Rich, you gotta go to work. Hey, I don't like the way you say that. <laughs> fuck it, I ain't going to motherfucking <laughs> And you go in the room, you lay down and say, you understand, don't you? <laughs> Then after a while, you start sneaking around. Cause I, I have parents, I did at this time. My aunties and shit was still alive, and they loved me, but they wouldn't say nothing to me that was like obvious. they shit, They say shit like, oh, you a chemist, huh, son? <laughs> now, can you move that so we can fix the greens? No, baby, you ain't no junk. No, Lord. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because nobody can talk you out of doing shit when you done made up your mind to hurt yourself. Right? Because, like, I'm talking about base nine and some people going, yeah, I got to get home to get my shit. Because <laughs> I would be out and think of an excuse to get home. I would be at the bank cashing a check. And the mother say, we have to certify. Never mind. Fuck <laughs> it i go in the car, I'd be no. And the pilot say, you know you. So, then it gets desperate. When the shit gets gloomy, when you've been in a room four weeks and Jim Brown have to visit. And Jim, of all my friends who came in and said, don't do that, but give me a hit, My friend, they tried. Listen, I was doing so much, I embarrassed cocaine dealers. They would say, Richard, man, goddamn. Oh, man, come on, shit. Mm, Why don't you just snort this shit? I said, okay, yeah, I'll I'll just snort it. I just, well, how much you want? A kilo. Just for the weekend. Jim got wind of the shit. He come in the house, and I get scared when I hear him he come in the driveway. The bell rang, and they say, who is it? Jim Brown. Oh, shit. Not the physical, just the mental. You know, because he loved me. I know this mother ain't going for this. So I'm sitting there, I'm going to show off here, I'm going to do it in front of him. Fuck it. <laughs> Jim come in and say, you want to go roller skating? The bathroom. I said, Wait, you want some? No. What is it? (laughs) Free (laughs) base. What's free about it? Wait, Jim was called. Jim said, "What you gonna do?" I said, "What?" Nothing, man. I ain't going nowhere tonight. No, I mean, what you gonna do? About what? About that? See, you ain't no movie star to me, motherfucker. (laughs) All these other fools come in there but I ain't scared of you. You know what I mean? What you gonna do? What you mean, yeah? You gonna go to hospital with me and get well or what? Why is everybody trying to rule my life? I don't put you down for lifting weights. Fuck all that. What you gonna do? And Jim said. Well, I I guess you don't want me for a friend. Huh? I guess you don't want me for a friend, motherfucker. If I can't tell you nothing, fuck it. I don't want to see you destroy yourself.
1: Wow. Um, Yeah. uh, There's a long clip, but it's a great story. Um, Now, uh, for people who don't know who Jim Brown is... um, uh, big american football black guy uh, mm-hmm. uh big big nfl star in his day then right. became sort of a black exploitation movie star yeah um had had his own string of problems and like uh, he's been accused of uh, beating and raping women about 50 times um up on charges <laughs> but um wow i didn't know uh, that yeah Yeah, yes. Long string of uh, accusations against him. He's managed to get out of it every time, though, a bit like uh, Cosby did for a long time. Right. I don't think he's been uh, caught up with the B2 movement. But um, actually, in 1999, he was arrested and charged with making terrorist threats towards his wife. Mm. Uh, Later that year, he was found guilty of vandalism for smashing his wife's car with a shovel. He was sentenced to three years probation, one year of domestic violence counselling, 400 hours of community service. Um, he needs some anyway. Ecstasy.
2: Yeah.
1: Anyway, that's a great story. But the thing I, I, I kind of love and, and don't love about that Richard Pryor clip is he's, he's not telling jokes. He's talking about right. how fucked life. up he was yeah. as an addict. And then how to hold um, him. Yeah. And the people are laughing. The people in the audience are shitting themselves laughing. Right. when he's basically just talking about how fucking broken his life was um, yeah. on Freebase. And, of course, uh, for people who don't know, he actually set himself on fire, Richard Pryor, accidentally smoking Freebase uh, because, getting back to my point, that it's manufactured with ether. Right. Um, anyway, its use, uh, Freebase had tapered off uh, in the middle 80s, um, and it was different to bazooka or bazooka. Um, But the other thing that took off in the mid-'80s was a little something called crack cocaine. Mmm. My goodness. Yeah. Was that also made with ether? No. I don't know much about it. It's not made. Okay. Right. Now, crack comes as little rocks of cocaine. You smoke it like Freebase, but it's cooked with water and baking soda instead of ether. I think it's made from the same stuff, this basuco, this, right. this tar, this so scraping just of the bottom with, of the barrel. Gotcha. Yeah, but it's mixed with water and baking soda. So it's much easier and cheaper to make. It's less likely to uh, set you on fire. It offers a a short but intense high, mm. uh, same as Freebase does, I think. And... Um, you you normally get it, as I understand it, as rocks, but you can wash it up, as they call it, a wash-up or cook powder cocaine into crack yourself. Wow. You do this with – you get powder cocaine, you mix it with baking soda, water, and a spoon. So the initial effect of crack is a huge amount of dopamine is released into your brain, mm-hmm. massive feelings of euphoria. Um, but as, as Richard Pryor was saying on that clip – uh, you get this huge high, but then it dissipates really quickly, like five to ten minutes. Oh, my God. And after that, the dopamine levels in your brain plummet, leaving you feeling depressed, <sighs> and then you need another hit right. to get the high back again. So that's uh, quite addictive. Um comes in, comes in different forms, crack. It can be mixed with different things. It can be mixed with amphetamine when it's known as croac. Tobacco, it's named as cooley. Um or cool, cool, cool with two L's it can be mixed with marijuana, where it's known as Buddha Caviar, Chronic, Cocoa Puffs, Fry Daddy, Gimme or Grammy, Juice, Primo, Torpedo, Turbo, Wool or Wooler. It can be mixed with heroin, where it's known as Moon Rock or Fencyclidine, when it's known as Clicker, P Funk or Space Base. God. I'm trying to picture. mixture yeah. I I I I almost want to be a drug user just so I can use these names for things. You know? <laughs> or maybe I should. <laughs> I'm going to stop calling carrots carrots. I'm going to start calling them cocoa puffs. Fry Daddy. Hey, you know, some Fry Daddy in your uh, salad. It's just like life's it. much more interesting yeah. if things have yeah. fun names, man. Good know. marketing. I'm to, let's not call podcasting podcasting. No. Let's call it glass dick. <laughs> because that's uh, when you crack smoking, known as hitting the pipe, puffing or beaming up to Scotty. Right. Commonly <laughs> performed with a pipe known as a bowl, devil's dick, glass dick, horn or oozy, Or improvised pipes made from a plastic bottle, a Maserati for some reason. Right. Water pipes, a bong or a hubbly bubbly. And laboratory pipettes, known nope. as a demo.
2: That's right out.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, let's call it, what are we going to call podcasting? Podcasting's boring. Let's just call it, let's go with devil's dick. Hey, I'll see you for okay. some devil's dick on Friday.
2: <laughs> devil's dick number 23.
1: I've just gotten over the fact when people say, what do you do? And I go, well, you know, for 10, 14 years, I go, I'm a podcaster. I don't have any problem with saying I'm a podcaster, but people go, like, well, what's that? How does that work? And I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't want to get into I, a conversation about it. can
2: explain it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I, for years I used to say I do I, I do, ra- I do um, online radio ah. And then I say uh, yeah, For a while I say I make audio documentaries Which is kind of what we do That's what these shows yeah. are They're audio documentaries Yeah um, These days I say podcasting Because I think most people Kind of know now yeah. what that Yeah, is you know, I'm a professional podcaster yeah. But now um, we switch it to devil's dick But that's boring Yeah Yeah, yeah. Devil's dick yeah. I mean yeah. I do devil's dick <laughs> I get paid to do devil's dick. What's By the that? devil. Oh, it's podcasting. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. With Ray. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. With Bubble Boy. Um... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, now crack apparently can uh, also be injected uh, the same way as you, you would with um, powder cocaine. Ooh. You, you can snort it or you can inject it. But powder cocaine dissolves in water. Crack has to be dissolved in an acidic solution like lemon juice or white vinegar. Yeah. Not okay. sure I want to be injecting no. that into me, but no. you know, fuck, what do I know? <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god. Yeah,
2: so uh, so so crack cocaine came out in the early 80s, but I think by 1984 It was pretty much all over the place. And like you said, it was known by different names in different places. But the point is, because it was made with um what did you say, baking soda and some other things and it was being scraped out of the bottom of the barrel, they could they could make it very, very cheap. Um there there were uh cocaine drug kingpins in California who were always looking to, to make drugs more, to make them cheaper, to make them more accessible. And so by the time 1984 rolls around, crack cocaine is down to like less than $20 just for a vial. So they, so these guys are businessmen too, and they find a way to lower cost and, and deliver a, a cheaper product. And again, it, that just helps with its popularity, and it is just taking off by 1984. And now the country's got another problem to deal with.
1: Well, I read it was even cheaper. I read that it was like $10 for a single dose. Damn. Now, it only lasts 10 minutes. So yeah, that you, makes sense. You need, need one every 10 minutes. It's going to be an expensive habit, but yeah. Yeah. So they called it crack in the South Bronx, but in LA they called it rock. In Miami it was known as growl. And the drug abuse research community hadn't worried too much about cocaine up until this point because they thought it was so expensive that the high price would keep a lid on it. It was considered more of a a Hollywood drug than a threat to public health. Right. But um, once the dealers started marketing it at a few dollars a hit, anybody could afford it. And this is coming at the same time where people, places, sorry, like the South Bronx, were getting hit pretty hard under Reaganomics. Mm-hmm. Reagan was getting ready in the mid '80s to push through another twenty billion dollar cut oh. in urban funding, right? Which would, which was going to bring the total decline in urban funding down eighty percent since the beginning of his administration. Jesus. So. A, on one hand, Reagan's deliberately turning all of these uh, inner urban areas into ghettos. At the same time, this cheap form of cocaine is hitting the streets. Right. So massive disaster. And of course, one of the reasons why the the this drug is is, is available is because other drugs like um, MDMA, ecstasy, uh, you know, or, or, or marijuana weren't available. If they were available, yeah. Um, cheaply, inexpensively, legally, people probably wouldn't have needed to turn to crack. But right. anyway, that's 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 how that's it what happened. happened. Yeah, and of course, the Reagan administration at the same time is also pursuing this "you're either with us or you're against us" uh, attitude in the war of drugs. Newspaper editors were instructed to run stories on drug users. The the, the Reagan White House was actually meeting. With pulling together all of the publishers and the editors of the big newspapers, fuck. telling them that, right. that they needed to be running negative stories on drugs and drug users. A couple of newspaper, I don't know Catherine Graham at the Washington Post pushed back, but uh, most of them didn't. Most of them went, "Yeah, fuck yeah, let's let's pick up the banner for the evils right. of drugs," and their sales the were going time, to increase. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's that's a big important point to, to keep in mind. We've mentioned that before, and we'll mention it again before the series is out. Um, horror stories, fear, trepidation, these things sell newspapers. Like they, they attract people to watch TV shows. Right. The bigger your circulation of your newspaper, the more money you can make on selling advertising on the newspaper. The bigger the viewership to your News show, 60 Minutes, or your your 6 o'clock news or whatever it is, the more money you can make out of advertising, the bigger numbers up. So the the scarier the story, the more money is in it for the media company. Yeah. Defense attorneys were being told by the Reagan administration that they shouldn't be using constitutional freedoms to protect defendants who were involved in the evils of drugs. Fuck. And the Justice Department was starting to... Uh, exercise its new powers to subpoena defence attorneys right, and force them to inform on their own drug clients. So attorney-client privilege is right out the window. If you have a client that is involved in the drug business, that's right. That Jeez. There's no attorney-client privilege, apparently. Um, and they were also stripping drug defendants of the money that they... Could use to hire a lawyer in the first place, as we've talked about um, in previous episodes. Uh, the National Law Rejo- The National Law Journal, mm. nearly said law Law Journal. <laughs> the National Law Journal um, ran a story in the mid eighties that said government investigations of lawyers, including use of such tactics as informants, wiretaps, subpoenas, and office searches have risen so dramatically in the last four years that they are almost common. Jeez. So the governments were using wiretaps and informants to bring down lawyers who were representing drug clients. Wow. That's effective.
2: Because who's going to want to defend these people now? I mean, that's, that's fucking cold but
1: brilliant. And the FBI even went as far as entrapping a high profile businessman into being a drug dealer. Oh. His name was John DeLorean. Mm. And we're going to talk about him in the next episode.
2: Bubble Boy to checking go out. out. With this. Okay. I
1: don't know if this is the house.
2: I don't see Jerry's car anywhere.
1: Would someone is going to see us here?
2: So what?
0: You are such a prude.
1: Hey, I am not a prude, sweetheart. I swing with the best of them.
0: Okay, come on, let's go in. What? Well, we should at least tell them what happened. They might be very late if they make it at
1: all. I can't go in there. I can't face the bubble boy. What's the matter? I, I just don't react well to these situations. My grandmother died
2: two months early because of the way I reacted in the hospital. She was getting better. And then I went to pay her a visit. She saw my face. Boom. That was the end of it. The...
0: Okay, we're going in.
2: Susan, wait,
1: please. George, stop. George, stop. George.
0: See, it's not really a bubble. A lot of people think it's an igloo, but it's really just a plastic divider. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you, uh, go in the bubble?
0: Well, you have to put so many things on because of the germs. The gloves, the mask, it's a whole production. <laughs> so then he makes his own bed? Well, that's one of the things we fight about. <laughs> Would you like to meet him? Uh, well, you know... Oh, uh, he loves games. Maybe you could play Trivial Pursuit with him. Hey, Ma! What the hell do I gotta do to get some food around here? <laughs> Stop! Beat it to shove it in your face! <laughs> this is Donald. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Who are you? Where's Seinfeld? He's on his way. These are his friends. What are you looking at? Never seen a kid in a bubble before? <laughs> <laughs> of course
1: I have. Come on. My cousin's in a bubble. My friend Jeffrey's uh, sister also Bubble. You know. I got a lot of bubble experience. What's your story? I
2: I, I, my, I have.
1: My podcast co host, he's a bubble boy. I know lots of bubble boys. Bubble <laughs> boy. By the way, the uh, role of the father in that episode was played by Brian Doyle Murray. Mm-hmm. Classic. Love his voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Murray. One of Bill Murray's brothers. One of the many Murray boy actors. Right. Uh, good, good stuff. All right. Well, that's the show for this week. Bubble boy. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go tell Chrissy you're a bubble boy, and yeah. I'll be back next week. All right.